Friday, we get underway on another edition of Midday on the Rural Radio Network. And we're going to spin the dial and see where it lands and see who we have, if we have someone. Because we were uh, one second away from airtime when I picked up the phone. And so, will our mystery guest sign in, please? Your mystery guest is Susan, and it's him and my fault because we were talking about stuff, and I looked at the clock and I went, oh, crap, i got to call. <laughs> so I apologize. No, not at all. I'm glad you're here. And I presume that uh, on our game, uh, Where's Susan? It's still Kansas City today. It is. I am still in Kansas City. It is the final day of our National Association of Farm Broadcasting Convention. Got some things happening this afternoon, the awards luncheon. And we've all entered into it, so we're all anxious to see who, who will bring home what. Well, that will be, I know you've, you've got some good contenders there, so we'll, uh, we'll sit here and cross our fingers for you. We have a number of them to cross. What do you have for us in the ag news business today? Lots of things happening, by the way. Thanks for the cross fingers. Coming Thank up at 1219, we're going to have a state climatologist, Al Dutcher, bringing us up to date on all the weather happenings. Yesterday, security was extremely tight, and it wasn't just because Chabella Guzman was in the building. Ag Secretary Sonny Perdue was here, so we'll give a rundown as to what he had to say to farm broadcasters. Then at 117, I'm going to have Mike Steenhook. He's the executive director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. We're going to talk some infrastructure issues and how when they closed down those dams on the locks on the Ohio River, it even had some effects on growers in Nebraska and Kansas. So that's coming up at one seventeen. So some fun things on the midday from farm. All right. Well, we appreciate appreciate the call. I know you have to take some time out there and keep a, keep a close eye. But we appreciate your checking in, and we'll listen for all those reports on the way, Susan. Thanks. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Jason Jorgensen's on sports, and you got a lot of it. There is state volleyball tournament is continuing on with semifinals this morning. Earlier today in Class D one, it was Johnson Brock. Moving on, they were able to knock off BDS at second semifinal in D one. Taking place at this time as Blue Hill is battling Meridian. Now elsewhere in the action that's going on in D2, Exeter Milligan. They also advanced today. They were able to knock off Hyannis. Another semifinal at this time has Humphrey St. Francis. They are playing at this time as Humphrey St. Francis. We'll see if they are able to advance today as uh, the matches will continue throughout the day uh, in Lincoln, Pinnacle Bank Arena. And then the championship matches, of course, those are slated for tomorrow over at the Devaney Center. Also coming up in sports, we'll talk some Husker football. We'll see if a trip to the Twin Cities can help get Nebraska back on track as two struggling teams will duel as the Huskers battle the Gophers. Also, an interesting matchup, Wisconsin tomorrow. You have the Badgers, who are ranked sixth in the country, taking on suddenly Red Hot Iowa, who's ranked 25th as the Hawkeyes are coming off that just incredible victory a week ago. Well, they just flat out smashed Ohio State. Yeah, no, no one really saw that one coming. No, and and still don't. <laughs> I mean, fifty-five points. Yeah. Iowa hadn't scored fifty-five points in a month. Absolutely crazy. All right, thank you very much, Jason. And we go to Bob Brogan for business. Stocks are moving lower as healthcare companies take some steep losses. Also, J.C. Penney reporting rising same store sales. And speaking of smashing, yeah, IBM says it's reached a milestone in quantum computing invented a very large computer and uh, <laughs> really so take that outer space I thought the whole idea was making them smaller <laughs> I don't know <laughs> well maybe it is small but it's mighty <laughs> <laughs> all this and more coming your way today on midday
Paul Perkins takes his seat in front of the appointed weather microphone here for Ag Weather, brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation. And uh, not going to be quite as warm as we thought, huh? No, a little lack of sunshine, a rather big lack of sunshine yeah. for today. Going to keep things on the chilly side. They are getting it in the panhandle. If you head out there, you got some partly cloudy skies and temperatures right now as warm as 47 at Kimball. We were just comparing the Kimball uh, picture that we see there. Uh, there's a webcam there that's quite impressive. You might want to take a look at that. But, uh, but anyway, the difference between yesterday and uh, one day makes a huge difference. Yeah, yesterday they were <laughs> snow-covered and foggy. Today it's nice and sunny in the Nebraska Panhandle, the southwest part of it anyhow, towards the Kimball area. A lot of us still locked into temperatures in the upper 20s to low 30s. Quite a bit of north-central make that central and eastern Nebraska, at least the northern two-thirds, still below freezing as chilly still as 27 at Grand Island and Hastings and Lincoln and still at 24 on the noontime temperature towards the Norfolk and Wayne area in the northeast part of Nebraska. It's all thanks to an Arctic area of high pressure that's tracking from Minnesota into the Great Lakes. It's drawing some moisture up to the north, giving us these mostly cloudy skies and also locking in that unseasonably cold air. The main brunt of this cold is well off towards our northeast and moving into the northeast U.S. That moisture will tonight will team up with an approaching front from the west to increase our chance of getting some fog and drizzle into tomorrow morning. But the good thing is Temperatures in the overnight will remain steady and mostly above freezing due to some south winds and cloud cover, so travel does not look to be a problem as we head towards tomorrow morning. A weak cool front quickly switches that flow to the west for tomorrow. That'll scare out the clouds, drizzling clouds from west to east as that front moves through the region. Sunday looks to be sunny with some light winds as high pressure pushes in from the north. That'll keep our temperatures about level for Sunday, but probably feeling better on Sunday than it does for tomorrow. Mainly dry and warmer conditions start to take hold for much of next week thanks to a ridge of high pressure building to the east. And there may be a few chances at some light precipitation next week with some also slight dips in the temperatures with a couple of fronts moving through. But all in all, a much warmer a pattern coming up for next week. Our likelihood still remains very good. Nebraska and Kansas temperatures will be warmer than normal Wednesday through Thanksgiving Day. So now the outlook through Thanksgiving is out there, and you can maybe do a little planning with that. In fact, in the later periods, the entire western two-thirds of the U.S. is forecast to be warmer than normal. The low normal precipitation remains the forecast for Nebraska and Kansas Wednesday through Thanksgiving. Weather factors in the market include a drier pattern for the western Midwest, precipitation slowing the harvest in parts of the eastern Midwest, and a variable South American rainforest or rain forecast. The next five days and much of the Midwest will be warmer and drier to favor the harvest progress. But south and east areas of the Midwest may see some locally heavy showers on Tuesday. Long range, there is the potential of some unsettled weather and cold snaps in the Midwest at the end of next week and towards the weekend to further delay their harvest. We're going to be in the warmer air, though, here in the plains in Nebraska and Kansas. There is favorable conditions for winter wheat across the southern plains. They continue to watch for a drier pattern that may start to occur going into winter dormancy if the weak La Nina starts to develop like they are thinking. The rain pattern continues to improve in crop areas of central Brazil to help recover after a hot and dry period. In south Brazil, where it has been wet, a dry pattern in the forecast will improve their conditions for planting and the early crop development. Ag weather brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your ranky dealer. Pardon my ignorance, but uh, <laughs> I, I know that uh, Minnesota used to play under that dome, but that's long gone. So yeah. how does the weather look for this Saturday? It actually doesn't look too bad for the Husker game. I did check that out earlier. They're right now, 
Game time temperatures right around 36, mostly cloudy skies and some light south winds. So considering it is November in Minneapolis, Minnesota, probably not too bad. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's very good news. The field may be a little wet because they do have that potential for some rain and snow in that area. But all in all, uh, the weather for the game should be somewhat decent, in, at least in the 30s. Well, if you can't hack it, you shouldn't be in the game. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, when you need weather anytime. JRVN.com. Governor Foley has signed a memorandum of understanding in China. I'm Shaylee Peters with a midday check of your ag news on the Rural Radio Network. Wednesday, Lieutenant Governor Mike Foley and Director Wang of Hebei Province Department of Human Resources in China signed a memorandum of understanding to increase exchange of information and build a better relationship between Hebei Province and the state of Nebraska. Hebei is an important center of agriculture and industry in eastern China. During his meeting with Director Wang, Lieutenant Governor Foley welcomed Hebei officials to come visit Nebraska and asked for support from the provincial government in promoting Nebraska as a destination for investment. Both sides expressed their desire to increase trade, exchange ideas, and work together to develop better relations. Lieutenant Governor Foley has been traveling in China since November 5th in order to promote Nebraska goods and develop closer business ties between Nebraska and China. And the Oklahoma cattlemen have voted on a proposed $1 refundable state checkoff and said no. The Oklahoma Agriculture Department revealed the vote totals as 2,506 votes no and 1,998 yes. Oklahoma Cattlemen's Association President Weston Givens was disappointed with the outcome, which was heavily influenced by out-of-state money and opposition groups, he says. When they filed that lawsuit, you know, they filed it against the vote. And that was really frustrating because this was a vote that producers wanted to put forward, wanted to do. They wanted to have this referendum come up with the answer. Do we want to increase or not? And so they didn't even want to give us a chance. Of course, I'm sure the reason they didn't want to give us a chance is they thought we were going to win. I'm sure if they hadn't thought we were going to win it, they wouldn't have sued. A referendum has to go through a series of steps in order to go before voters. Given says there were plenty of opportunities for opponents to make their voice heard, and no one did. When we presented those petitions before the Secretary of Ag, we had a, there was basically a little hearing there, and anybody that didn't that wanted to object or whatever could have showed up and objected at that meeting, and nobody did. And then they, you know, saying that we were doing it wrong or whatever they wanted to say. But nobody showed up to object to the vote and how it was going to be done and to the petitions. But then they come out here a month ago and file a lawsuit. And, you know, that really muddies the water when people do that. And another ag news, the U.S. Senate's tax reform bill released late yesterday would keep more tax brackets and maintain the estate tax, but also would still keep several tax provisions important to farmers regarding equipment expensing, expensing and pass-through income. With the House advancing its tax reform package on Thursday to floor debate next week, the Senate Finance Committee released details of its plan as well. The Senate Finance Committee is set to start markup and debate on its bill starting Monday, November 
November 13th. Like the House, the Senate lowers the corporate tax rate from 35% to 20, but the Senate delays that lower 20% corporate rate until 2019. That provision has already been panned by business and conservative groups and was cited as a reason stocks fell on Thursday, but the delay was included as a way to keep the 10-year cost of the tax bill under $1.5 trillion. The Republican-led Senate can avoid facing a 60-vote threshold for its bill if the tax changes do not add more than $1.5 trillion in tax costs over 10 years. Congress is pushing to get a tax reform bill to President Donald Trump's desk before the end of the year. Most provisions in the House and Senate bills would take effect in 2018. And that's a quick look at your Friday midday ag news. For more, you can always head on over to RuralRadio.com. I'm Shaylee Peters, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Shaley Peters joining you on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time again this week to visit with Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist Al Dutcher. And Al, really having some productive days this last week weather-wise. Can we expect that continuing into this weekend and headed into next week? Well, good news is, if you want to take it from that standpoint, that the temperatures should start to rebound after this very brutal last couple days of chilly temperatures, struggling to get out of the 30s with the wind. And the drier air, of course, gives you that winter feel. A little early for me, of course, but, you know, it is what it is. And as we go forward in time, I think the one thing we'll be paying attention to is that this cold air mass will be scoured out as we start to see some warmer air move into our region over the next 24 hours. Miles are a little bit slower than they were yesterday in the rapidity of how quickly this will uh, occur. But... From a standpoint of temperatures returning to normal to above normal, it still looks like it's in the cards. Uh, it does look like the warmer air will start to, in earnest, move into the region. As we get into late Saturday and into Sunday, with some very nice temperatures anticipated as we go into Monday and Tuesday, as we see that trough in the Pacific Northwest digging in, to this in central Rockies, that will push the ridging pattern east and we'll repeat the same methods that we have seen over the last two weeks where we'll get a quick warm-up under these drier air mass. Still not a lot of moisture expected with any of these systems for the vast majority of the models. It keeps the moisture from Nebraska, eastern Nebraska, all the way into the Great Lakes. But more importantly, as we get into the middle of next week, that trough starts to lift across the northern plains and starts to push some cooler air into the region slowly. And then that system starts to intensify over the Great Lakes region. And I would not see surprise that we'll see a pretty significant snowmaker, at least in the upper Great Lakes, with some heavy, heavy moisture across the eastern Corn Belt in advance of the warm air moving in. So this would be more in the, in the area of rainfall. But more importantly, that's going to pull that cold air once again down into our region, at least temporarily as we go into Thursday, Friday, before we once again see another warm-up. And as we look out a little farther as a prelude to the big travel weekend coming up at the end of the month, it does appear that we will at this point see a warmer pattern, at least initially through that first few days of the week. After that, there's a little bit more uncertainty 
Uh, the models seem to be bopping around, either bringing us a, a sharp cool down or we continue the warm trend. So there's a lot of uncertainty once we get past about 10 days. But I suspect, as has been the process for the last couple of weeks, that we will probably be dealing with some variations in temperatures going from above normal to below normal. And at this point in time, nothing in the models indicate a deep diving system into the central Rockies that would be conducive to developing a major snowstorm in the central plains. So from the standpoint at this point in time, going and looking forward to the holiday weekend, it looks like the center part of the country should be in good shape. And I really think that by the time we get to the, the uh, couple days before Thanksgiving, I think we'll probably much be done with the vast majority of the corn harvest across the state. We've been averaging about a 20% gain in acreage each week since we had the, the wetness delays in early October. We're probably going to be well above the 80% range in terms of harvested acres as we get into the Monday release. And with another full week ahead of us, I suspect that we'll probably be well above 90% as we go into that Thanksgiving Day weekend. Thanks so much, Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist Al Dutcher. For more, you can visit RuralRadio.com. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shaley Peters. You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time to check sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks a lot, Dirk. Well, the NSAA State Volleyball Tournament is continuing in Lincoln at Pinnacle Bank Arena with semifinal action in all six classes. Earlier today in Class D1, it was Johnson Brock knocking off BDS. At this time, Blue Hill and Meridian are playing in the other semifinal. In Class D2 action, Exeter Milligan. They won in four over Hyannis. And at this point, Humphrey St. Francis is playing Ewing. Well, Riverside used a big first quarter on their way to yet another six-man football championship as they down Harvard last night. 46-38 in that game. Quarterback Tyler Martinson had a big game for Riverside. He threw for 246 yards and six touchdowns. Riverside wraps up the year at 11-0. Harvard finishes at 10-1. State high school football also continues tonight with playoff action in classes A, B, C1, and C2. Well, NU hopes a trip to the Twin Cities can help get them back on track. Of course, they're coming off that disappointing loss at home in overtime to Northwestern a week ago. And head coach Mike Riley has a scouting report on the Gophers. They, they have good backs. Uh, we're going to have to do a good job there. In uh, overall defense, they've been ranked nationally uh, and, and playing well. You know, they, uh, they have a couple guys that are good, really good pass rushers. Uh, off the edge, so we got to be uh, accountable for those guys when we do throw the ball. And then what we have to be able to do, have to be able to do, I think, in this game is have a balanced attack. I think. Kickoff tomorrow is set for 11 Central Time in Minneapolis. 25th ranked Iowa is on a roll as it heads into Camp Randall Stadium for a crucial Big Ten West Division game against 6th ranked Wisconsin. Covenant Hawkeyes beat up on Ohio State last week. Now they face their second straight top ten opponent and unbeaten and the unbeaten Badgers, who can clinch a trip to the Big Ten title game with a victory tomorrow. And the grind to playing in the East Division of the Big Ten has taken a toll on teams over the past four years. And this year, the biggest hit may be to the conference itself. The Big Ten may not have a team in the college football playoff for the first time since that started in 2014. College football action tonight. Ninth-ranked Washington visits Stanford in the only top 25 college football game. Stanford looks to bounce back from a late loss at Washington State. And Kansas City Royals manager Ned Yost has broken his pelvis and several ribs after a fall on his property in Georgia. 
The team says the 62-year-old manager was working on a deer stand that gave way last Saturday. He underwent surgery at an Atlanta hospital and was then transferred to a rehabilitation facility. That is a check of sports. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Mostly cloudy in Nebraska tonight with areas of fog after midnight in the southwest and patchy drizzle possible in south-central and southeast Nebraska. I'm Dave Schroeder. Bob Evnen of Lincoln announced in April that he'll be a GOP candidate for Nebraska's Secretary of State. He's a former State Board of Education member and Lincoln attorney. He says the Secretary of State is a protocol officer of the state and as such, Nebraska's ambassador to the world. Among his goals would be to work to improve the state's economic prospects by expanding Nebraska's exports worldwide. Over the last four years on the average, Nebraska has had exports of $7 billion a year. Way over 90% of that is ag-related. I want to work with the governor to help expand ag markets. I want to use the status of the Secretary of State's office to help expand ag markets internationally. And I, that is something that where I think that the Secretary of State can really add value and can really uh, help promote the Nebraska economy. I'd like to see that. Evanen is looking to succeed John Gale, who is not running for re-election in 2018. The first day candidates can file for the 2018 election is December 1st. So far, no one else has announced their intention to run against Evanen. Authorities have arrested an Oregon man found with pot and a cannabis extract called Shatter in a van on Interstate 80 traffic stop in Lincoln. Richard Wilkinson is charged with possession with intent to deliver. A man driving another vehicle traveling with Wilkinson on Wednesday also was charged. He's been identified as John Carlson of Rhode Island. The deputies say they found in the van 110 pounds of marijuana, 3,500 marijuana seeds, vials of hash oil, and 25 pounds of shatter, which is a concentrated form of the psychoactive ingredient in marijuana. Deputies think the men were driving to a state where medical marijuana is legal. A California man, meanwhile, was taken into custody in south-central Nebraska and charged with possession of marijuana for sale. Curtis Dixon of Redding, California, was taken into custody on Wednesday, about a mile east of the Cozad Interchange on Interstate 80. The Nebraska State Patrol says a trooper found 48 pounds of pot in the truck bed of a pickup truck that Dixon was driving. Your phone is just one click away from closings and cancellations when you use our app. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. The National Association of Farm Broadcasting Annual Convention is winding down today, but there was much excitement yesterday, especially when Agriculture Secretary Sonny Perdue made his appearance. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskit reporting. The Agriculture Secretary made his first visit to the NAFB convention where he made a stop in trade talk, then spent nearly an hour talking with broadcasters across the country. Secretary Purdue began his opening comments commending agriculture broadcasters and future broadcasters for their role in communicating the story of agriculture. 
Obviously, this is a, this is a major, uh, a major profession for us, and increasingly important going forward as we tell the the wonderful story about American agriculture. And I, I, I love uh, people ask me sometimes, how do you like D.C.? And I say, well, that's the wrong question. I love the job, and I'd probably love it more if I could do it from Georgia. But nonetheless, uh, I do. Uh, it's an awesome opportunity uh, from a. From a farm background, diversified row crop, dairy farm in middle Georgia, graduate veterinarian, uh, agribusiness career. It's kind of the culmination there. When I was elected governor in 2002, the press asked me, they said, well, what is a farm kid in Bonaire, uh, veterinarian and uh, uh, an agribusiness guy know about being governor? I said, well, you got to have the tools, and I got them. I already got the boots, the glove, and the shovel. So, uh, and, and we used all of them in, in that job. So, nonetheless, it's a great opportunity, and, and we've got a great story to tell. Uh, all the way from the day of my confirmation or the day leading up, those 100 days leading up to my confirmation, as I visited with senators around the country, as I visited with different groups, uh, really three things came to mind. I think they're still there. And... Uh, uh, we'll talk about, I'm sure you'll want to talk about some of them today, but uh, certainly at the top of the list was trade. Uh, right behind it was uh, farm labor and then regulations uh, impeding our productive capacity. So uh, I think those are all things that we are still working on aggressively. Uh, I'm glad to have Ted McKinney as Undersecretary for Trade. As you remember, the 14 Farm Bill uh, suggested that we create a mission area dealing with uh, uh, foreign agricultural service and trade. We did that, and I think it's ever so important as we get out here around the world selling the benefits of American agriculture and American products. Uh, uh, just to, for young people on the communication aspect, I was in the UK a few weeks ago, and they have a ten tendency to, to disparage some of our products So, as far as safety in the United States. And one of those is they like to complain that our chicken is bathed and washed in chlorine. And while that that's not a process that's used much anymore, uh, I listened for a while, and I said, well, there's no reason. It's not in either of our best interests to start a, a food war over food safety. And, and by the way, can I ask you a question? They said, sure. I said, what do you all wash your salads in? They said, chlorine. So that's the kind of story you have to have to refute all around the world. And my job is part communication as well. And that's why I'm glad to be with here with Learn From You Professionals. Following the USDA announcement of a better than expected yield on corn and soybeans yesterday, Secretary Purdue said trade deals like NAFTA are made a priority to reach an agreement on. Well, certainly, obviously, the abundance continues as we look at the genetics continue on these uh, step increases in corn and soybeans as well. That means that we do have to find homes for it, and we're actively out here looking. We certainly, one of the goals is to preserve the homes that we have already, and that means NAFTA. Obviously, uh, uh, the people in this room and the producers around the country know how important NAFTA has been to American agriculture. I can assure you we've, uh, uh, the administration knows how important agriculture and NAFTA has been to agriculture, uh, and uh, we're continuing negotiating. Uh, I think there's probably some room for some anxiety. Of course, farmers don't need a lot to be anxious about, but uh, room for anxiety when we see uh, some of the proclamations coming out. But at the end of the day, I think we will get an agreement. I think the president is a tough negotiator. It may go to the brink, and uh, but I believe we will get a, a new and, and actually a better agreement over NAFTA, uh, particularly from the Canadian side for poultry, 
uh, dairy, eggs, uh, those kind of things, but even with uh, our, our southern neighbors in Mexico. The secretary also expressed his appreciation for the staff around him, including Nebraska's own Greg Ibaugh. We've got some great people the president has appointed, and we're happy to have a couple of them on board. Uh, really, uh, Steve Sinsky, who many of you know here, led the American Soybean Association for over 20 years. And uh, Ted McKinney, as you mentioned, as our first Undersecretary of Trade, uh, having a great corporate career, as well as Director of Agriculture in, in Indiana. And then Greg Eigbach, who just joined us uh, a week or so ago uh, as our uh, Undersecretary for MRP uh, comes with a lot of knowledge, branding and marketing and those kind of things. Obviously we got a big job uh, with our Farm Service Agency and our Conservation NRCS and we need Bill there very quickly. We've got other names that should be coming out very soon certainly on the other industries for food safety and uh, forestry and, and the rest. So we hope that'll be done. It'll be a shame if we uh, go a year and don't have a team in place uh, by the inauguration day of this next year. You can find more of our coverage from the National Association of Farm Broadcasting at RuralRadio.com. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskett. Next, we talk with Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities, about these livestock futures. Joe? Yeah, another kind of tough day uh, in cattle and uh, uh, we finish with some triple-digit losses once again uh, as we continue to see uh, some pretty good liquidation. Cash uh, a lot uh, is weaker than uh, than expected this week, and uh, that uh, has prompted uh, the sell-off here so far. And it, it spilled over into the uh, into the feeders too, not quite as drastic as the uh, uh, live cattle. Uh, and the nearby October or nearby November closed unchanged, but. Uh, Obviously, uh, that goes off uh, next uh, Thursday, so uh, it's going to stay very close to that index. Uh, over in the hogs, uh, we uh, saw uh, mixed finish, but a lot of uh, pressure on the December contract. Looks like uh, we've got uh, long liquidation coming out and uh, uh, some rolling back of uh, long positions in the hogs. So. Uh, they finished the finishing 70 lower. The rest of them uh, uh, moderately higher. So uh, definitely seeing some rolling of positions. So we finished lower for the week in the cattle, the feeders, and the hogs this week. So not a very uh, great week. Cut out still holding on both the uh, cattle and the hogs, but uh, that seems to have uh, no influence right now on the futures. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Total week-to-date slaughter estimates on cattle through Saturday, 623,000, 19,000, then last week, 8,000 more than the same week a year ago. Hog slaughter projected 2,495,000, that'd be 48,000 more than one week ago, and 37,000 more than the same period one year ago. I'm Dewey Nelson. Infrastructure and keeping things running smoothly has a huge impact on agriculture. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Mike Steenhook joins us, executive, executive director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Talk about infrastructure because, you know, we, a couple weeks ago we heard so much of it in the market side of it when they had to shut down some locks and dams because of some issues. Well, transportation's the connectivity between supply and demand. And, you know, you, you think about how agriculture and farming in particular is one of the most international of enterprises. And it's not because 
we are close in proximity to the export facilities. It's it's actually because we've got this multimodal system that can connect supply with demand, whether it's a domestic customer or an international customer. And when it works really well, uh, we're very competitive on the international marketplace, the most competitive. But when it doesn't work well, you see things like farmer profitability will be impeded. You'll see our competitiveness will decline. And so it really is one of those key issues that merits attention by agriculture and farmers in particular. As you and I were talking earlier, you know, the importance of this infrastructure system affects the producers all the way into Nebraska that aren't even along the river. Because if one area breaks down, the other's got to try to pick up the areas. Yeah, we don't have the amount of redundancy and resiliency to our multimodal system that if you had a, a, a breakdown or a failure at one of those modes of transportation, that, oh, the other modes will be able to ab- absorb it without any kind of consequence. So you'll see with if you have a failure at one area of a, of a lock and dam, particularly if it happens during harvest season, we just don't have the ability to, oh, let's just shift it all onto the rail system or on our roads and bridges. And likewise with our our rail infrastructure, we saw this in early 2014 when rail service was really of concern to the western part of the corn and soybean belt, that all of a sudden you had a real constricted service there, and the ripple effects of that were really felt uh, throughout the country. So all of those modes of transportation need to work together. Farmers, even if you're far removed from the inland waterway system, it is very important to your industry and your, your competitiveness. You know, we've had we have a president that during the campaign talked to infrastructure. He continues to talk infrastructure, wanting to have more goods made here in the United States. We got to get that infrastructure taken care of. One of the questions I like to pose is: Do we want to be a country that consumes from the rest of the world, or do we want to be a country that produces for the rest of the world? And one of the things that I've appreciated from hearing from the president and also certain members of Congress is that there still is this aspiration for the United States to be a country that produces and makes things. But for us to be successful in that, you you don't you not only have to have supply and you not only have to have demand, you have to have that transportation system that connects the two. And so we're very hopeful that. There will be attention devoted, sufficient attention devoted to this issue. We think it's really the best opportunity, perhaps the only opportunity to have a bipartisan win. So we're anxious to see attention being devoted to this. But you got to have the money to do it. Do we pull that from taxes? How are we going to get that to upgrade this infrastructure? Well, I I think it's kind of interesting that since the year 2013, 26 states have voted to increase fuel the fuel the fuel tax in their particular state. So over half of the states in the in in the country have done it. And many of these states are are midwestern states: Iowa, Nebraska, South Dakota, Indiana, Michigan. They've all elected to do that because there's this recognition that the cost of maintaining and building infrastructure goes up. And that is not a statement of opinion, that's a statement of fact. And so the question for all of us is, do we expect to have revenue keep pace with that escalating cost? From the NAFB convention in Kansas City, Missouri, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the World Radio Network, witnessing a day of higher grain and soybean futures. And with us, John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. We had a chance to see this rebound today based on what we saw yesterday emotionally, and it happened, John. Yeah, it did. Uh, We got a little bit of a bounce. I think rebalancing going on right now helps as well. That big short position is camped out in December, and you'll see a lot of that move to March. So I wouldn't be shocked to see some convergence of that spread uh, in the shorter run. Um, 
you know, not super optimistic here. There's much more than a dead cap bounce in the short run, but that could take us back up to, say, 350, 355. I wouldn't throw that out of the equation here. Um, you know, if you didn't know the fundamentals and you were just looking at the charts, you'd say, well, you know, the bottom and the end of the range sits right here, and, you know, we've held the deferreds above these levels, and, and if we can get some upside action, you know, nothing's really changed. I know the report tends to be, uh, you know, put some myopia in the market and, and folks who watch it fundamentally, but if, if you're not really that tied into the fundamentals, you might not think things are that bad. We're lo still looking at December 18 corn to scratch out maybe $4 at some time or another. Is it possible? Oh, for sure. I mean, it's it's definitely possible. I think right now, given where the conditions are, are set up, you know, we're not going to see it anytime soon, but, uh, you know, I, I think there's probably a, a, a surge down to 375 in the cards as well as maybe a push-up to, to 405, but just given that most producers are going to do what they should have done a year ago, I think you'll look for a lot of forward contracting at that price, especially given the, the yields that we've seen and the assumption that maybe we can do that kind of yield again, you know, based off a year that wasn't so, uh, I guess it wasn't so normal. So, I don't know. I, I think wheat's the key here for a lot of the stuff, as we've mentioned in the last couple of months, and I, I think wheat showing some promise. Um, but again, I'm, I'm not thinking we have much here. I really think the next two months we are going to be pretty boring for us, and we're going to be talking a lot about, you know, good U.S. exports versus weather in South America as far as the driving factor. You can say time will tell. When we get to January's report, that'll be a big maker. Yes, and I think that's, you know, we're kind of on, I guess, hold here. Weather right now in Brazil doesn't really threaten anything, and, um, you know, farmer selling, I think, will probably need to step up, but... I think once you get through that first of December, folks who haven't sold aren't going to sell these prices, and we're back up to the, the upper part of the range. So if you are selling, you know, and you happen to make some sales and you're looking to reown, I think maybe, you know, somewhere in the 445 to 455 range, however aggressive you want to be for that March contract, is appropriate. Thanks, John. Have a good weekend. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to Daniels Ag Marketing, and uh, that's DanielsAgMarketing.com. Corn finishes the day one and a half to two higher. Soybeans two higher. Kansas City wheat futures three and a half to four and a quarter higher. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network.